Thank you, Jeff. I just want to just say that if you're a guest here this morning or watching online for the first time, you want to come back next week and see John and get the real worship experience at Fellowship Church and not be turned off by what happens here this morning. I don't know if you did this when your kids or grandkids were small, but when our youngest granddaughter was born, we got one of those baby monitors. You know those things that you can put in their room and you can have a receiver elsewhere and you can listen in on what's going on. Her older brother did not need a baby monitor. He had uh, just two settings. One setting was screaming loud or sound asleep. So he didn't really need a baby monitor for him. And I thought this was interesting because uh, I got to confess, my wife, Laura, she is hooked on the TV show, The Office. It's a sad, sad thing. And uh, so we've watched it more times than I can bear to bear. And we were watching it, we were on the road a few weeks ago, and we were watching an episode uh, on, on, on television, and um, it was this episode where Andy Bernard, the doofus manager that replaces Michael Scott, is up in a room with his dad, and in this room there's a baby monitor. And they didn't know it while they were having a heart-to-heart -heart talk about how Andy was really depressed and down because he had been beaten down by his dad for his entire life. They didn't know it, but the rest of the office gang was listening in on the other end. And when Andy came back from this really heartrending conversation and he joins his fellow office mates back down at the party, suddenly they react to him differently. They like him. They're treating him well. They're offering him a hamburger. It's amazing to me the power of listening in on really significant conversations. So that's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we're going to listen in on a conversation that happens between Jesus and one of his disciples. And you know the trouble that I have from time to time, and maybe you do too, this trouble is that sometimes we talk more than we listen. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19, James says that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to listen in on a conversation with Jesus because you and I, as believers in Jesus, we desperately need to know his character. We desperately need to know how he would invite us in to, to join him in what he's doing. So we're going to do that this morning. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 44 through 51, we're going to hear John uh, excuse me, we're going to hear John describe the conversation that takes place between Jesus and Nathanael. The words should be up on the screen. John chapter 1, verses 44 through 51. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending 
on the Son of Man. We can derive several things from this passage, but one thing I think I want to grab a hold of right at the beginning is this thing in verses 47 through 48 where, the, where Jesus knows all about us. One aspect of the divine nature of Jesus is this technical word that we use. It's omniscience, and it just means he knows it. He knows it all. He knows everything. He knew everything about Nathaniel, his character, his honesty, his activity, his geography. And in the same way, Jesus knows us inside and out. Despite our best efforts to hide ourselves from the world and from him. We may think we're succeeding at hiding ourselves, but we're not. It's like, have you ever played hide and seek with a toddler? And they put their hands over their eyes and they say, you can't see me. Yeah, we can. Yes, he can see you, see me. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David asks, where can I go to hide from God? And the answer is nowhere. But the thing is, Jesus is not waiting to pounce and condemn. He is waiting to embrace us, to invite us to follow him and join him in his work. And we'll see more about that in a couple of minutes. And here is the thing, a thing. Because he knows all about us, we can relax. There's nothing to hide because nothing can be hidden. We can be real with Jesus because he is always real with us. But beyond that, in verse 50, we ain't seen nothing yet. Nathaniel is astounded by Jesus' knowledge of him here in this initial encounter. And when, he, when Jesus encounters Nathaniel, Nathaniel gets to see one evidence of that omniscience of Christ in elements of his own personal story. Now, I don't know if you've been to Estes Park recently. We were there a couple of weeks ago. And sandwiched in between the 10,000 shops that sell T-shirts and souvenirs, we saw a shop that said vinyl. Vinyl. So I went inside. We went inside. And indeed, they had rack after rack after rack after rack of vinyl records. Amazing. Vinyl's making this comeback. You know, everything that's new is old. What's happening now is uh, that the record manufacturers who have once uh, convinced us to buy vinyl records back in the day, who then moved on to things like eight tracks and cassettes and CDs and, and, and digital files, now they're going back and they're recycling the whole thing all over again. They want us to buy vinyl again. I saw those vinyl records. I said, man, I really wish I had that giant stereo that my dad and my mom used to have that was about the size of this altar here. You remember those things, right? Big, huge speakers, turntable, the whole deal. Nothing new under the sun. Well, back in the original day of vinyl, there was a group named Bachman Turner Overdrive. And they had this song that I really liked. I think it was about love. It may have been about lust, sorry. But there was this line in this song where the, where the band says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because in front of us, in front of Nathaniel, the entirety of the Gospel of John is going to unfold. And Nathaniel's going to watch it unfold. And it shows all these things that Jesus gets to, to, to do. And he demonstrates about him, himself, his character, his personhood, his divinity. Nathaniel gets to see it. All these things that 
in the Gospel of John that John the Apostle calls signs of who Jesus really is, authenticators of his work and his mission. Changing water into wine. I used to be in Baptist circles. We changed water into grape juice. It's a whole different thing. He gets to see Lazarus raised from the dead. A man who was born blind and gets to see. And all kinds of additional things that happen. Uh, supernatural events that could only happen because the person of God was walking among them. There were some bad times too. Some times of abandonment and despair. But Nathaniel also gets to observe other deep and very personal conversations. He gets to listen in while Jesus talks to people like Nicodemus and the woman at the well. All those conversations, all those things that happened so that, so that we might believe and others might believe that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. John chapter 1 verse 1 affirms the divinity of Jesus and the rest of that gospel unfolds very specific pictures of that divinity. And Peter reminds us in the gospel of John chapter, chapter 6 that Jesus is the only one. He's the only person to whom we can go for the words of eternal life. And so Jesus is inviting Nathaniel and us and you and me in to see even greater things than these. Sometimes it's easy, I don't know for you, but sometimes it's easy for me to get distracted by little things and lose my focus. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said that last year, more people died on U.S. roadways than had died since the year 2005. 42,915 people. A little of over 8% of those crashes, they estimate, were caused by, well, distracted drivers. In particular, people looking at their phones instead of driving down the road. Now, we walk a lot, and we regularly walk in Monfort Park, and in order to do that, you have to cross the street over here at 24th and 47th, and when you do that, every time you are taking your life into your hands. I am not making this up. The other day, a woman came screaming through that intersection. She was turning. She was coming out of the Dutch Brothers coffee place, so I am not making this up. She had a cup of coffee in one hand. She had her phone in the other hand. She was staring down. I don't know how she was steering the car, but she sure didn't see us because she was distracted. When you're driving the car, the main thing is driving the car, right? When you're a believer in Jesus, the main thing is believing in Jesus and partnering with him to do the things that he's called us to do. We get distracted, I get distracted by things that are small and really eternally insignificant, and in the process, I miss those big things that God has in store for us in life with him. But there's a condition for seeing these more things. There's a condition for seeing all these wonderful things that Jesus has described to Nathaniel. The condition for seeing more is that we need to go along with Jesus. Verse 46. That's what Nathaniel does when Philip says, come and see. He goes to see 
in the upstairs hallway in our townhouse, there was a picture at the end of the hallway that was given to me by a friend of mine named Bob Stewart. Bob was a space shuttle astronaut. And Bob has this picture that he took from space of the Holy Land. It's amazing. And Bob has said over and over and over again, he said, you can describe what it's like being in space, but unless you actually go there, you don't really know what it's like. Now, of course, you can go there if you want. If you have $250,000, you can get a ride on a Virgin Galactic spacecraft. If you have $55 million, you can go with SpaceX to the space station. I don't know if that's a round-trip ticket or not. But if you really want to see what's happening with Jesus, you've got to go. we've got to go with him to the places that he's invited us. And unlike space travel, whether you have the $250,000 or the $55 million or not, unlike space travel, all of us can go with Jesus. Each of us can go with him. And in order to see what he has for us to see, we need to go with all that that implies, obedience in our priorities, obedience in our time, obedience in our talents, obedience in our treasure. John uses this word in verse 46, the word to see. And in the Bible, in the, in the language of the uh, original language of the New Testament in the Bible, this word to see means close examination, really checking it out. You and I, we get to do that with Jesus if we go with him. Now, couple of side notes. There are a couple of things from Nathaniel here in this passage worthy of emulation as fellow disciples. The first one is that Nathaniel was teachable. He was open to God's leadership. He goes in a very short span of time in the passage that we're looking at from verse 46 to verse 50. He goes from being a skeptic. You remember the line? What good can come out of Nazareth? He goes from that to saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You, you are the Son of God. He was initially skeptical, but he quickly sees the reality of Jesus and his mission because he was teachable. Now, I need to explain to you this morning that there are two kinds of eye rolls. Eye roll number one is when you say something that's completely ridiculous, and dads and granddads, we are particularly good at this, you say something particularly ridiculous, and people roll. I'm getting an amen over here. We're particularly ridiculous, and so you get the eye roll response. Our granddaughter was at our grandson's baseball game the other day, and she was spraying herself down with suntan lotion. And I said to her, sweetie, don't forget to spray the bottoms of your feet. And she looked at me, and she went, I have shoes on. And then she got it, and the eyes rolled. We were at Father's Day dinner with our a family that's here, and my grandson ordered chicken fingers. And I said, Coop, you know, chickens don't really have fingers. Eye roll. Like maybe we observed a couple in this room a few minutes ago when Ernest told us the story about the guy buying his wife a grave for his, her birthday. You didn't use it last year. Eye rolls. That's one kind of eye roll. And, and uh, dads and granddads, we are, we are equipped, I think, genetically. It's built into our character to spew these things out, to dismay people around us all the time. That's one kind of eye roll. 
The other kind of eye roll, though, is dangerous. The other kind of eye roll is the, I have everything figured out, thank you very much, and I don't need to hear anything from you, thank you very much. More dangerous. Unless you think I'm just some kind of creepy, old, curmudgeonly guy who only sees eye rolls from younger people, that is not true, because I teach in a doctor of ministry program, and I see eye rolls from those people on a regular basis. Because they think they've got it all figured out. They think because they've been in life and in ministry for a while and in, the church, in church leadership for a while, they've, they've got every answer to every question that could possibly come up. Now, this isn't true of all of them, but you run into the few that it is. And so in our first conversation, I say one of the primary uh, prerequisites for success in this program and really in life and ministry is you've got to be teachable. You've got to realize that there are people in this room who have seen things differently than you have. You've got to realize that there are people in this room who have more experience in particular areas than you have. You've got to realize that there are people around you who have things to say and things to offer. But in order to get those things, we have to be teachable. And Nathaniel models that for us here. It's easy, it's easy, it's easy to get stuck. Before my uh, center of gravity shifted in ways that I'm, I'm not proud of, I used to snowboard. And I was snowboarding at Breckenridge one time, and I wandered off of the groomed slope, which was always dangerous for me. I wandered off of the groomed slope into the deep powder, and before I knew it, I was up to my chest in deep powder and going nowhere. And it required somebody who knew more about the situation than I did to come and get me out and help me move along. I had to be in that moment, whether I liked it or not, I had to be teachable. You and I, we need to be teachable in the body of Christ. We get into a routine, we get to places where we uh, aren't facing regular challenges, but we need to realize that Ongoing, vital connections with Jesus often come as a function of our connection with other people who have been around the track a couple more times than we have. But there's another thing about Nathaniel in this passage. is in verse 47. Nathaniel was described as having no guile. In the original language, the Greek of the New Testament, this word means trickery or kind of a bait-and-switch kind of character or wily. Wiley E. Coyote, do anybody remember him? The message translation by Eugene Peterson, uh, Peterson describes Nathaniel in, in translating this verse as saying he had a, not a false bone in his body. Much needed virtue. Not just being a truth teller, but an ongoing character of integrity. No deception. What you see is what you get. Wouldn't it be great if the people in the body of Christ were known around the nation and around the world for being truth-tellers who speak the truth in love? Oh, we can be really good at speaking truth, or at least our perception of truth, but sometimes when we speak it, we speak it with a jagged edge that just cuts and hurts. Or we can be mushy, mushy, lovey-dovey people who, yeah, I don't want to really say the truth. They might get upset about it. But that's not what the scriptures call us to. The scriptures call us to be people who speak the truth in love. In the kind of way that Nathaniel is described here. 
so that we're measured in our response. We are considered in our response to the big things and the little things when they come. So I'm this morning hoping that you will listen in to this conversation that Jesus has with Nathaniel and decide that you want to go along too and see what Jesus means when he says, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Whether your life has been a long-term adventure with him or whether you're just starting out or whether you're just thinking about it. Whether your life has been a record of triumphs, you have a resume to knock the socks off of anybody, or whether your life has been a mixed bag of triumphs and tragedies. Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oldest granddaughter's name is Shelby. When she was four years old, now she's starting her medical school rotations. How did that happen? But when she was four years old, we were at Logan Airport in Boston, and we were waiting for their flight to get ready to go, and we were standing at the escalator at the bottom of it, just standing there. So finally, she must have figured out that, you know, I was not the smartest person on the planet or something, and she looks at me and she says, but Gramps, if we want to go, we've got to get on. If you want to go, Jesus will take us up. All we have to do is get on. And then, well, we ain't seen nothing yet. 